0: Welcome to the Better Boundaries podcast, brought to you by Utahns for a Responsive Government. The goal of this podcast is to keep you informed during the 2021 Utah redistricting process. My name is Katie Wright, and I'm the Executive Director of Better Boundaries and your host today. For our fourth episode, I'm pleased to have Representative Paul Ray, who's co-chair of the Legislative Redistricting Committee. Representative Ray, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So your committee has now hosted five offsite public hearings, and I really want to dig into those. But before that, um, let's learn a little bit about you. You began your legislative service in two thousand and one, and tell us about your
1: accomplishments. Well, my my, kind of my focus uh, in that period of time has been on health and human service and law enforcement issues. That's kind of been my forte, and so I think we've had a a lot of great accomplishments. I I chair the social services uh, appropriations committee so we look at funding uh, medicaid uh you know just pretty much anything that falls under department of health department of human services department of workforce services uh, we're involved in and so it's been really great to to be able to work on mental health issues to work on you know the medicaid issues and and uh, just everything over the last 20 something years that's that's come up to as we've we've been able to take and then you know working through with law enforcement uh one of the first things we did is is came in an increased income uh for highway patrol they were pretty much all on Uh, food stamps when when I came in and so my first year we ran a bill about two about two million dollar pay increase to try to start bumping up their salaries and nice thing over the years that's continued and we've been able to help their families out so kind of a little bit of everything
0: that's excellent in my previous career I also worked on mental health and it has been very um, impressive to see how far the state has come in offering service and accessibility so really important topics um, so have you been involved? And tell us about your involvement in previous redistricting processes.
1: So this is my third process that I've been through. My freshman year, um, I was pretty much a deer in headlights with redistricting because you come in, you have no clue what's going on except that your district's getting cut up. And so we just kind of kind of rode through that. And then the second time, had a better understanding. And, you know, the funny thing is where, where I live, I didn't even uh, introduce any maps myself. You know, I kind of felt that it'll... It'll whatever they do is going to be fine. I'll, I'll make it work. with however it uh, however it ended up, whether I ended up with somebody else or if my district moved one direction or the other, I, I didn't. You know, I, I just figured it's you know if if I'm any good at what I do, I'll be able to get the votes to continue. And so that's kind of how I looked at that. And then going into this year, what I've what I've learned from the past years is, you know, like for instance, I, I haven't drawn my own map yet. I haven't looked at any data as far as voter data. I am strictly at this point going through the census data, just looking at population bases. And so that's one thing I learned through the previous ones is really what really matters is the census, the census data, the population, and how you move your your boundaries based on population growth and, and those kinds of things and trying to keep, you know, the communities together as much as you can and, and, you know, trying not to cross certain lines and, you know, drawing hard lines here. Those are things I've seen from the last two where sometimes that rule wasn't adhered to and it caused a lot of issues. And so trying to learn lessons and come forward and more than anything, just trying to be very transparent with what we do.
0: That's excellent. And, and you mentioned the census data, as we've discussed in previous episodes, extremely delayed this year. It usually arrives in April in, in this year because of COVID. It arrived in August and really wasn't usable till early September. So with that in mind, knowing that we're all working on a compressed schedule, how's the process going? What's your take on, how, you know, are you enjoying it and how how's, the, how's it going?
1: You know, I think it's going extremely well and I'm, in, I'm enjoying this. I, I've enjoyed going to the communities, meeting with the members, You know, last night we did Rose Park. That was awesome. You know, the the member, there was a great showing of people. And it wasn't this push and shove kind of a thing. It was, hey, here's our community. This is where we came from. This is what we're about. And this is what we would like. And that's what we want to hear for each community that we go to. You know, give us a little bit of history about yourself. Tell us about your your demographics. Tell us about your geography. And then tell us what you want. And then we can take that information back, which is why I've not started Draw a Map yet. I'm waiting to get through these meetings, and then I'm taking tons of notes. And then we'll go back, sit down, and start drawing based on what we heard from the communities.
0: So this assignment has a heavy workload. What is the workload for you and your fellow committee members?
1: It's like a full time job right now. I spend most of my days um, up at the Capitol. I'm not, you know, what what I do is once we have a meeting like last night, I will go up and look at the lines, and I will maybe make some proposals in my notes just to say. This is what the community asked for. So I've kind of got that down. And then when we go to the next community, they're going to tell me what they want. And obviously, there's going to start being overlap as you start going through the communities. And then at that point, it's calling the communities back and saying, you want this? Tooele wants that. Here's the overlap. How do we how do we fix this? So as a committee, so what we're typically is we, uh, there was one point we did three town halls in a 24-hour period. We did Tooele, Ogden, and Logan within 24 hours. So we're, we're on the road quite a bit. And when we're not, we're typically up at the Capitol, uh, working on our notes that we took from the previous meetings. And as chairs, I'm reaching out to my committee members. I'm reaching out to members of my body, saying, "Hey, you know, you we're encouraging our own body to draw their maps too. We're uh, public everybody. We want everybody to draw maps so that we can come in and we can look. You know, we had a map presented in Logan Congressional that actually the guy did a really good job on it. You know, we I think we would like to use maps from the Dist- redistricting commission or the public or other places as we go into this and so we're trying to get as much input so i think that's what a lot of them and i know a lot of my committee members have been out meeting with mayors city council members county commissioners trying to get all that input and encouraging them to come to our meetings when we come to their communities
0: is there going to be a way as as the public goes on to the website which actually allows as you've mentioned people to draw maps is there going to be a way for the public to see other public input in an organized fashion that they can understand while they're drawing maps. Because I thought that was interesting yesterday where we had someone who had spent a lot of time on a map, drawn a really you know, interesting and, and solid map with good population variants. But uh, understandably said, there are parts of the state that I don't know well. So I'm just curious about how you're using that public input and making it available to the public.
1: You bet. So if you go to redistricting.utah.gov, click on maps, you can set up, set up your account, which basically is your name an email address and set up your account. And then you can go into the shared folder. So you open folders, go into share and anything that's been submitted by the public or another legislator that submitted their map. You it's there. You can click in and see it and you can compare those maps. And, you know, you might have somebody that lives down in Southern Utah that drew their map. They're not so sure about Northern Utah, but they understand Southern Utah. Well, you can kind of look at their map and say, okay, this is what they did. This is what I did. Maybe I want to combine the two together. And so yes, the public has full access to anything that's been submitted. Once you've complete your map, the uh, the software will go through and do an analysis, to make sure it meets all the f- all the requirements to uh, to have an actual map, and then it's out there for anybody in the public to take a look at.
0: Excellent. So you mentioned the Independent Redistricting Commission Um, at Better Boundaries. We were responsible to get Prop 4 passed and then worked with the state lawmakers to negotiate, you know, a compromise that's now in motion. And are you following closely the work of the Independent Commission?
1: I was until we started our town halls and now we're on a parallel path. They're doing their thing. Uh, We're doing ours. I do go back on their YouTube channel and I watch and I take notes from theirs like I just finished the Monticello one and had about a full page of notes from what was being said in Monticello. So, so yes and no. I mean, I don't follow them directly, but I do try to go back, and I'll be watching their meetings just so I can – because, you know, that was the whole idea is they would get from areas. We'd take input from areas, and then we're we're covering more of the state by doing two of them. And so, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm actually watching and, and writing notes as I watch, which is actually a lot easier than me there in person because I can pause and I can go back if I miss something or couldn't understand a person's name. Uh, Sometimes the audio and both are both committees aren't very clear because you've got big rooms and lots of noises. So it's kind of nice to to go back and figure it out. So that's been very helpful for me. So when I go to Moab, I know what their issues have already been and we can talk a little bit more detail about it when I get up there.
0: Yeah, so so you've mentioned one way that you're sort of working in parallel is paying attention to each other's public hearings and public inputs. Are there other ways that the commission and committee are working together, or how do you see that relationship?
1: Well, uh, statutorily, we can't really talk um, lines and maps and boundaries amongst ourselves so I think there's a bit of a separation just to be on the safe side so people can't say, well, you were you know, colluding with the other guy. So we are kind of staying away from that. As chairs, I know Senator Sandel, myself, and Rex Facer, we've had some conversations on logistics and, and how we want to handle things, and that's really where we've kind of kept it. That way we don't want to seem like we're interfering with them and we don't want anybody to accuse them of interfering with us because they have definitely not, and we've tried not to. We we want to make sure that this is done fairly. So we've kind of kept that arm's length uh you know, on on the processes, but still communicating on logistics and things that we need to communicate on.
0: So with both the commission and committee, um, by constitutional law, the most important thing is to follow, you know, the one person, one vote criteria. What are other criteria that you see emerging as important that the committee will consider?
1: Well, I I think some of the important things that that we're looking at uh, as far as a committee is we want to make sure that the maps are as compact as possible, Uh, We want the the districts to be contiguous, so they got to be touching. You can't have a circle here and a circle over here and a lot in between. So we're looking at that. And then I I know, um, and I'm not, you know, we've got pretty much the same guidelines, but some are different. I've overlaid the incumbents. And the reason I've done that is we know where we live and we dropped our maps. We're going to know, but I want the public to know where we live. When they see our maps, they can overlay that incumbent and they can see what we did. Did you bring a finger of a district down to capture an incumbent? I want the public to see that. If we didn't overlay the incumbents, they would never know what we did. So really it was a transparency issue. It's not telling people, make sure to put your incumbent in their district. It's saying, hey, in case you want to know, here's where the incumbents live. You can draft them in, you can draft them out if you want to. But when you see my map, at least you'll see what I did with the incumbents, with my colleagues in the house and, and with the congressional members. So that was, and that's one difference. They're not doing that and we are doing that. Um, I think another one is, is I know we're, pushing really hard, and I don't know what their what their policy is, but we're trying to have that urban-rural mix on our congressional seats because we feel that it's important. So that's one of the things that, that we're targeting to do.
0: I'd love to pause on that because um, it seems to me that the majority of the public input is asking to keep the rural vo- voice strong and intact. And I, I know you're circling back to more Salt Lake meetings, but yesterday, certainly in Rose Park, they said, keep us whole. Um, but you're mentioning mixing the rural and urban voice. Is that reflected in the input you're getting from the public?
1: You know, it, it is for the most part. You know, they don't want to be split as a community, but they agree that a congressman needs to have both urban and rural interests so that when they go back to D.C., the entire state's being represented because you may live in the lost ash Front, But your water, your food, a lot of things come from rural Utah. So it's important that we've got all four members of that congressional team fighting for the entire state of Utah to make sure that we have that balance and that we're hearing that rural voice.
0: Although I have heard that from a, a handful of the public input, I, I would argue that there, there are a lot of people, you know, really saying don't dilute our voice. And I think that that has been heard, and I've listened in on almost every meeting, I would say, from the commission and the committee standpoint. And also, you know, the conversation around that is the role of senators who, of course, um, you know, on a federal level are uh, voted at large. So what do you think about that tension of, uh, senators being voted at large uh, and representatives being voted, you know, regionally.
1: Well, it goes back, but still you, you in Utah, we're unique in the fact that, you know, there needs to be a lot of support for rural Utah. And, you know, to say that you're, you know, you're Tooele and you're going to get, you're going to get put with a little bit of urban, a little bit of rural. All they want is they want, and when they talk, they want their own voice. They're talking state Senate. They want their own voice in the state Senate. They want one senator and one representative, which population wise is, is almost impossible to mm-hmm. do. Uh, but when, when you hear congressional, it depends where you go. If you go to Salt Lake County, they want their own little donut hole seat. They're going to argue that. But you go out to other parts of Utah and the majority of Utah is saying, hey, we like that urban rural split. So you're going to get one argument in, in Salt Lake County. You're going to get a whole other argument as you go out to some of these other areas.
0: Um, So you mentioned that um, you're hearing often about keeping cities and counties intact. And is that something that will, you know, rise to the top of the criteria of the committee? Or how are you seeing that evolve?
1: You know, a little early to say exactly. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's certainly a priority. But once we actually start drawing the maps and trying to, you know, distribute the population, we are certainly trying to keep cities whole and counties whole. But it's not possible. You know, we had a a gentleman that drew a map last night, you know, uh, Chad, and uh, it, it worked great for him until he got to southern Utah. And all of a sudden, Cedar C was split in three different House districts. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we are certainly trying. But there are going to be times, especially on congressional, when you get down to 0% deviation, uh, that you may have to pick a precinct here and there to make the numbers down to zero. We are allowing a plus or minus a 5% on the Senate, school board, and the House races, which helps us keep communities whole by doing that. And one thing that we've learned, a big surprise for me, is I didn't think anybody followed the school districts. But the, 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 the ask on that is keep the LEAs together. Keep your school districts together within the state, which makes a lot of sense. And we've actually asked our staff to find us a map, figure out how to do that. And so we're researching to see if we can do that. That was great input. You know, that was completely off my radar.
0: Yeah, I I agree that, um, uh, every meeting, as you stated last night, you hear from educators saying as much as possible, keep our districts whole. And, um, that feedback has been really strong and it seems like both the committee and commission have taken notice and, and, um, you know, nothing's more important to someone than the future of their child. So, um, but but with that said, you know, state school board maps are not the ones that make the front page of the news at all.
1: But as important as every other map.
0: Exactly. Yeah, very true. And, and, and such a great example of um, what good information comes out of public hearings. Right. So at the Rose Park hearing, um, we heard from your legal counsel that racial or, you know, language data cannot be the primary um, reason to draw a line in a certain place. And because of that, my understanding, as it was presented at that meeting, the committee has decided to not look at that data at all. However, we did hear um, some passionate and informed public input from a member of La Raza who um, encouraged you to use that among your considerations. So please talk about your thoughts on that moving forward.
1: Well, and and I'm not an attorney, but I'm gonna tell you what I've been told by our legal team. So um, what we were told is you had to do what's called a jingles test. So, And they did that. So they went in and they drew a whole bunch of districts across Utah trying to find a minority uh, majority. And so the only place they could draw that map was in Rose Park. So they drew the map. And then the next criteria by the federal government is, has that population been represented by someone that, that they've Elected, you know, somebody like if it's a, you know, minority population does a minority re- represent that area? And the answer is yes. Both the House and the Senate, uh, you know, Senator Escamilla and Representative Hollins represents that area. So, uh, so I, I don't know if you say we passed or failed the jingles test. I'm not sure how they declare that, but the fact was is is we only had one district in Utah that could actually could could have been drawn a, a majority minority, and then they're represented by you know who they've elected so given that the federal law turns around and says now you are prohibited from using racial data as as your thing so
0: as a primary as a primary
1: so so in order to avoid a lawsuit you have to pull that off and so we've pulled that off because what if somebody comes in and argues like wait a minute you actually that was your primary there's it's hard to prove one way or the other is basically what we're being told and so it's safer to avoid a lawsuit if you just pull the racial data off of the software and then redistrict based on your census data and your population.
0: And that's an interesting contrast. So with the independent commission... Um, and just to think about some of the timeline to familiarize everyone with it, they will be presenting their maps, um, 12 maps, four for each, uh, I'm sorry, three for each of the four districts on November 1st. And that those maps accompany a, a, nar- a narrative that speaks to each of the criteria and explains their consideration of how you balance those criteria. So they will be using that data, but balanced in their conversation about why or why not, you know, in the different Um, criteria and how they were considered. So, of course, not a primary consideration because that's against the Voting Rights Act, but still among consideration in ensuring people have voice. So that's an interesting contrast between the committee and the commission and how that data will be used.
1: And I, I think what we'll do is we'll look at it case by case. We'll look at the map and then let our legal team tell us, hey, that's within the confines or not within the confines. Then we'll take a look at it.
0: And have you had any other public input that supports the idea of looking at communities of color and and adding that consideration to where you draw lines, whether or not you're dividing or, you know, including people in, in certain districts?
1: That was actually the first time it was brought up. We bring it up in the very beginning in our discussion when we explain how we're doing things, but that's the first time the public has actually brought that up.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, so you have conducted five offsite meetings. Obviously there was meetings at the Capitol prior to that. And in general, what are your impressions and what are you learning?
1: You know, my impressions is, is people, I love it when people are engaged. People are taking the time to draw maps and that's exciting. Um, you know, some of them are self-proclaimed nerds, but you also have just regular people drawing too. And I really, I really like that. And we're seeing younger people draw, which is another big, uh, big plus, you know, for what I'm seeing. Um, I've enjoyed the input. It's been very good input, you know, very little, you know, normally when you take a legislative committee out, you get the people that just like to beat you up. And we're not seeing a lot of that. We're seeing people that are truly engaged in the process and they, they want, you know, they have good comments and they've got great information for us. So it's been, you know, at this point, it's been really a a great roadshow for us.
0: I couldn't agree more. The level of engagement for an issue that is complex is um, really heartening and just shows how much people like to participate in democracy. Um, So anything that we haven't just discussed today that you'd like to share with us or things that are on your mind as this process is evolving?
1: You know, I think as we go out on the trips, again, obviously, I'll always encourage the public to come get involved and don't, don't hesitate to come make your comments. You know, we want to hear those. But also, I, I've kind of been dismayed at the lack of local officials that are showing up. If you're a mayor, if you're a county commissioner, if you're a city council person, you ought to be there. We want to hear from you. You know, Twilla did a great job. We got there and their, their, their council uh, chair had a presentation about Twilla, it took about 10 minutes, explained Twilla City, Twilla County, Grantsville. And we learned a lot about that. You know, then we get to Ogden, there's not one elected official there. We have our, you know, we have some house members there. But we have no local elected officials. They just don't show up. And, uh, you know, Rose Park last night was a, kind of the same thing. We had no local elected, elected officials there. So if you're a mayor in your city council and you get ticked off about your maps, that's not my fault. You didn't come talk to us. And it's important that we understand your cities and, and your communities of interest. We don't know. I, you know, I, don't, I, I live up in northwest Davis County. Uh, Rose Park was an eye opener for me last night. It was actually pretty awesome. Twilla Grantsville, I loved that. It was really great. But unless you're willing to come and and teach us about that, we're not going to know. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize the divisions within Rose Park when you get to Glendale and, and, you know, kind of the, the, where they draw the lines and say, oh, no, 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 I'm not from Rose Park. I'm from Glendale. You know, those are things that we didn't know. At the presentation the night before, or uh, let me see, in Orem, we had a a gentleman who who drew some maps with Roy and Sunset and said that they were equal cities, that they were identical uh, super communities and, and. I represent that area. And I was like, no, 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 they couldn't be more different. You know, Sunset and Clinton have interlocal agreements. They ch- share a recreation program, law enforcement backups, fire and paramedic come from North Davis, not from, you know, And but he didn't know that, you know, that's just, he guessed, he looked at the map and said, those look pretty familiar and they're right next to each other. So that's how we learn as we come out and we, we meet with these. So please engage, please be involved. And we, we really do want your input don't think you're wasting your time but drawing a map I'm learning a lot and I'm going to ask you questions I'm going to ask you where did you start Because that's a hard part where do you start the guy last night started in the north got to the south and thought I'm screwed I got to figure this all out and so what if you if you get it right I want to know you know because you, you're going to help me when I draw my map
0: yeah, that, that's really interesting. And when I have heard um, local officials talk about where they want lines drawn and what's useful, it, it really gets down to the practical considerations of governing um, other, as you've mentioned, other alliances that already exist or agreements across different municipalities. So that input is really important. So I really appreciate you inviting and um, calling out to local officials to really attend and have their input heard. So my last question for you, um, you um, are giving an incredible amount of time to this process as we mentioned earlier. So I'd love to hear from you why you believe the redistricting process is so fundamental to democracy.
1: Well, you're you're, you're dividing up your voters. I mean, you're figuring out who represents you as the public. And I, I also believe that it shouldn't be us as the elected officials choosing who represents us. I want the public to help choose. So, I think it's important. I think transparency is very important, and as I always tell my constituents, don't come griping at me if you didn't give me input. you know don't yell that I voted opposite from what you want when you never reached out to me to tell me what you want that's not my that's not my fault that's your fault, and the same with redistricting if you want your districts a certain way, we want to hear from you. we want to understand what you're looking for. you know what are your interests you know what is your community um you know how do we best keep like people and like, you know, like groups. That, that That's what we're looking for is, and, and obviously matching that with the data. That's the other big part is there's this little thing called, you know, population data. And, you know, for instance, if you're a county in rural Utah that has 5,000 people, I'm sorry, but you don't get your own senator to yourself because you need 113,000 people to make that Senate district work. And so it's just trying to figure those out and, you know, just, you know, it is just important because, you know for the next 10 years this is where your decisions on on the you know from from the local level clear up to the federal level is going to be made
0: thank you thank you representative ray for your time today and for your service to utah um, i've observed that as utahans attend public hearings of both the independent commission and legislative committee we are hearing directly from them the importance of criteria um, such as keeping cities and counties intact and considering communities of interest as we've discussed today I'm Katie Wright, your host and executive director of Better Boundaries Utah. We hope you'll tune in and follow our podcast for the latest news on Utah's redistricting process.